0: What is real? Welcome to the What is Real podcast. This is your host, Chaz. Mario Gibney is our next patient. Infection date, February 12th. Time of death was 4:20 p.m. Before the end, the patient shared valuable information about the world of psychedelics. To some, they might just be base pleasure, but for the seeker of knowledge, they see it as a way to access metacognition. And this is something we find fascinating. We will explore this topic more with you. You have no other choice but to listen. Would you kindly listen to this podcast? Patient One recording begins now. having me on. Absolutely. So anyone who happened to listen to the first episode of this podcast is aware that Rockstar Dev had a kind of, not a negative attitude, but at least it didn't really feel like a very positive response, in my opinion. And he kind of just backed away from it there at the end. And so I wanted to have this episode that had a much more, I think, balanced opinion on psychedelics, on drugs in general, things like that. I'm not sure if you're an expert per se, but um, would you say that you're a person that has experimented in the world of psychedelics and things like that?
1: I'm definitely not an expert, um, but I would describe myself as someone whose life has been strongly influenced in a very positive way by psychedelics. Yeah.
0: Maybe for reference for people that have never done things like this before. A point that was brought up in the previous podcast was kind of a very negative outlook on drugs and the kind of baggage that the word drugs itself brings with it. I'm sure you're kind of aware just that general kind of, you know, drugs, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's LSD or heroin. It's all it's all drugs and you know, it's all bad, whatever. What's your general outlook on drugs, not just psychedelics, but drugs in general?
1: That's a really difficult question. I mean, the first thing is I would ask a person to tell me what their definition of drugs is and then ask them, does that include alcohol, tobacco, and, you know, marijuana? Because if it does, then, you know, you'll you'll find that people seem to treat those drugs very differently. It's kind of hard to have just an overall opinion on drugs. There's such a wide variety of them, and there are a lot of benefits from them, and then there are a lot of serious, you know, risks involved and negative sides. You know, so I don't, I don't think it makes sense to kind of look at them as a whole group, Like, are, are drugs good or bad? I think it makes sense to look at individual substances or, you know, certain families of substances, and then, you know, look at the pros and cons, look at the risks, the benefits. And I, I think that's a much more constructive way to, to view things. I, like, and like, people already subconsciously do this, you know, they, they tend to treat, you know, alcohol in a different category. Most medicines are forms of drugs as well. People understand subconsciously that in certain contexts, they're very, very good things, you know, like opiates, like are actually fantastic, provided they're administered in like a medical setting. It's a bit overly simplistic to say drugs, good drugs, bad. I would agree with
0: that. I suppose I've just seen in my life in the United States, the kind of outlook towards drugs definitely shifting from kind of where they were in the uh, nineties of, you know, even marijuana being like a kind of evil thing to it mostly going away in most places that i'm in i will admit that i'm in a state where it is legal currently so it's a bit biased obviously but i see that and i think i see things like a couple different states here kind of uh, moving towards magic mushrooms being legalized
1: for kind of medical reasons and uh, recreational as well, isn't that right? I think in, what was it was Denver and then I think it was Oakland as well, uh, have made mushrooms uh, legal for recreational purposes as well, unless I'm mistaken.
0: I believe you're correct. I was kind of going along those lines to kind of ask you, what's the situation in Canada? Because I don't really just
1: have the knowledge of north of the border there. As people know, we quite publicly uh, legalized marijuana. I believe it was at the end of 2018. I'm recording this from uh, Victoria in Vancouver Island, British Columbia, which is one of the probably most progressive places on earth. Mushrooms aren't legal here. The police aren't really trying to catch people who do them because, you know, we have, you know, like I'm not recommending anyone do it. Like, you know, know your laws, don't break them. If you want to experiment with this stuff, make sure you do it, you know, under a legal setting, like either travel to a place where it's legal or, you know, it's starting to become easier to do research on it. There's a lot of research come out of the universities here. And general attitudes toward it are um, quite progressive here. I mean, this is a big shock for me because I spent most of my 20s in South Korea, which has very, very strict laws against drugs. You know, culturally, people, even more more than the West, they kind of lop everything together in one negative category. You know, I was there six years and, you know, like once every few years, I'd hear rumors that like a friend of a friend had weed. It was just such a different world in Canada. And so coming back to Victoria, which I'd never lived in before, which is even more progressive than where I grew up in Alberta, it it was quite a shock.
0: Let's take a, a few steps back here. What was your introduction to drugs? Was it the kind of cliche, you know, marijuana gateway? Or was there something a bit more innocuous to kind of start you off with here?
1: I guess that depends. Uh, yeah, again, how you define drugs. I think I drank coffee regularly. The first time when I was like 10, my um, parents wanted me to drink coffee because I think they'd heard it was helpful for kids who have like attention issues or something. <laughs> but um, no, and then like, you know, like a lot of teenagers, I started drinking when I was I don't know, 15, 16. I would get drunk pretty regularly with friends. And then at university, I would smoke weed a few times a year, and that was it. So, I mean, I was pretty straight edge growing up. Through those years, I, I did have this very kind of, okay, all other drugs are bad kind of mentality. I only got interested in exploring the world a bit further after I was in Korea, not because it was there, but because I, I was living in a new country. And I, I was kind of flabbergasted at how what appeared to me were backwards views on um, marijuana, how prevalent they were. And so I got a bit more interested in, like, why is there such legal opposition around the world to this, you know, mostly not very harmful drug, especially relative to alcohol. And also, like, I was seeing around me, like, alcohol consumption is, like, high in Korea. It's, like, one of the most alcoholic countries in the world. It's a bit of a problem. Like, you know, like, it's got to take its toll on people's health there. And so I, I started reading more about the war on drugs and how we got to where we are today. And there is an excellent book I'd recommend people read called Chasing the Scream. It's a history of the construction of these drug laws and kind of their uh, were pretty racist origins in the United States and how the United States forced this really oppressive regime on the rest of the world. You know, it also kind of opened my eyes to the more nuanced view of, you know, what is a drug, like I was discussing earlier. And it eventually led me to reading about a lot of uh, research in psychedelics specifically that have been emerging in the last 10, 20 years, picking up from research that was happening in the 60s and 70s and about how they're very, very effective at treating a variety of uh, very hard to treat mental conditions, uh, things like uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD. About four years ago, I was going through a particularly difficult time. Like I had um, I gone through, yeah, some of the worst depression in my life. I, I contemplated suicide at one point and I, I was on the upswing. I, I was going to therapy, like I strongly recommend talk therapy for people who are going through a difficult time. It was really helpful for me. Yeah, and so uh, coming back to Canada, where this stuff is a bit more available, I started experimenting and found that you know responsible, like careful usage of these substances, uh, combined with going to therapy afterwards and discussing and trying to integrate your experiences, uh, it was it was really explosively good for me. The last couple of years have probably been the best of my adult life. You know, I credit my usage of psychedelics to that. Like in particular, ayahuasca has been incredible for me. Just to be clear, what was your first experience with psychedelics? The first time I did psychedelics was doing mushrooms and that I didn't have a particularly big, I um, mean, it was a wonderful experience, you know, it was with someone I cared about and trusted. And um, so, I, yeah, the first time I did it, wasn't a. I, I wasn't doing it for the mental health reasons. I kind of realized it was safe. It was curious. And the second time I did it, I was trying LSD and I was able to Kind of break down this subconscious barrier of i had been in kind of a traumatic experience about a year earlier, and I didn't realize, but I hadn't processed it. I just kind of stifled it and shoved it away in the back of my mind, and it had been weighing me down since without even realizing it. Kind of it was you know six a.m. by myself in this room that busted wide open, and I was able to go to certain people and kind of get a bunch of stuff off my chest that I, I didn't realize was even there before. And that's when I, it really clicked for me. I was thinking, okay, there's something here that's not. um From that point forward, I was think I I became really, really interested in them as a potential medicine. And uh, that's kind of been my approach since. Yeah, I would say the most significant experience I've had was uh, traveling down to Peru, going down to the jungle, which I did in the summer of last year uh, for an ayahuasca retreat. Do you want to explain to the listeners what ayahuasca is? It's kind of funny. I'm used to discussing this in context with other people who are very kind of deep into the world of psychedelics. And I kind of assume people know what all of these are, kind of forget that ayahuasca isn't particularly well-known outside of this community. So ayahuasca is um, a brew. It's a type of tea that's a combination of two different plants that are found in the Amazon rainforest. And uh, one of them is DMT, which is the active psychedelic compound. And the other plant uh, involves a substance called an MAOI, which inhibits your body's proteins that breaks down DMT so you drink this and it's, it's also the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my life. It's, it's really gross. you typically drink these in a ceremonial setting? There have been uh, many different tribes in South America have uh, traditions going way back of healing ceremonies involving ayahuasca. There are a variety of cultures down there that have developed these ceremonies. Typically, it'll be led by a shaman or, or multiple shamans and you'll have anywhere up to like 20 people participating in a ceremony at a time and you drink the substance after about in between a half an hour to an hour and a half, it'll kick in. It often makes you kind of vomit or sweat or, or shit yourself. Um, so it, it, physically, it can be quite, um, quite an ordeal, and it's not it's not something you would do for fun. It can be a very harrowing experience. Like uh, easily the most terrifying moments of my life have been on ayahuasca. It, it's not really well understood how this helps people. Like the, the the research on this is just kind of starting to come in. I'm not well versed on the neurochemistry behind it, but. Um, it kind of allows for tremendous reframes and kind of, you know, emotional resetting of people's, you know, attitudes towards problems. One of the things I kind of about ayahuasca is that like, you know, you'll hear about people taking LSD or mushrooms and kind of like party or like fun settings. You would never hear about that with ayahuasca. It's, it's, it's much more closely tied to kind of uh, cultural healing practices.
0: I'm not sure if you've ever done the smokable version of DMT, not, No. but um, from from my kind of not direct knowledge, but just from general reading on the internet and kind of reading on Aeroid experiences and things like that, it's a very different experience than the ayahuasca trip that I
1: can like get something like 12 hours or something for that uh, trip, right? Uh no, I also guess in twelve hours. I would say a ceremony typically lasts, I don't know, five to six hours. It depends how much you drink, your personal sus- uh susceptibility to it. The ceremonies I've done have been in the Shipibo tradition, which is one of the, the tribes from uh Peru who've uh, you know developed a culture around this. Their ceremonies typically last I, I would guess about five hours. You know, at the end of the five hours you're still, you know, kinda high and you're on the come down, but generally people go to sleep after that. It'll be the middle of the night by then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is—it's um, a—it's a much longer trip than smoked DMT. Um, I've never—I've never done DMT, but from what I understand, that lasts, you know, like fifteen minutes or something.
0: Yeah, definitely, it lasts fifteen minutes. From what I hear, is basically that ayahuasca experience crammed into, into the fifteen minutes and is kind of overwhelmingly intense. You know, depending on how much you smoke, obviously, but you can, you know, have incredible breakthrough experiences. Would you? call your ayahuasca experience a kind of breakthrough experience where you reached
1: some supreme height of kind of insight or self-knowledge etc yeah absolutely without a doubt the most profound moments of my life have been on the substance it's extremely difficult to describe these experiences how they affect you but some examples just like since the second night i've ever done ayahuasca like i haven't quite ever looked at my existence in the same way feelings like gratitude have become a much much more Present thing in my life. I've been able to kind of reframe very stressful experiences, kind of anxiety inducing factors in my life. I've been able to reframe them in a much more constructive way and be able to be a lot more accepting of them. There's one experience where I I had a really negative experience with a friend of mine. You know, this happened years ago who was kind of being uncharacteristically um, uh, disrespectful towards me. I had a really, really bad memory of this. And looking back, I kind of wish I'd, you know, hit him, which I'm not a violent person. I've never hit anyone in my life. And just for some reason, this memory kind of always stuck out, It really bothered me. And, uh, you know, I've had the experience of that coming up during ceremony and reliving the memory of it. But instead of kind of wishing I'd been violent in reaction to him, my attitude towards it had shifted to being genuinely concerned, realizing that, like, if my friend was being uncharacteristic, rude, like he was probably going through a difficult time. And like, since then, I don't, I can remember that experience with him. And I don't have the negative emotions from it. You know, I've talked with him about this too. It's a very unusual thing, like, and that type of um, reframing happened probably over the course of like less than a half an hour during a ceremony, and that's the type of thing that I've I've experienced through months of therapy. I believe I've read this somewhere someone's described ayahuasca as months of therapy crammed into a weekend. Like, I think that's a fantastic description of of some of my experiences. Like, I, I want to be careful overselling this because. This is not necessarily going to affect everyone in the same way. You know, your mileage may vary. Different people respond differently to these substances. I've also gone for weekends with my shaman where, you know, I, I haven't had the profound insight, or I've felt like I've had insight during ceremony, and then when I sober up the next day and remember the thoughts, they're kind of obvious things or like nothing important. Some of the experiences have been truly perspective shifting.
0: Something that might occur with psychedelics very often, you know, especially if you go for the the higher dosages or the the higher threshold is you might experience something like ego death. Is that something within your particular experience?
1: I'm not sure. I've read about ego death. I don't have a very clear picture in my mind of like what the ego really means. Like I can repeat to you what I've read, what it means, but i it's not really concrete in my mind. So considering the depth and quantity of my experiences, I've probably had some experiences at least related to what people are talking about there, but I, I can't speak to that term specifically. I do a lot of meditation. Most days, I'll start off by doing 10 minutes meditation in the mornings. You know, ego death and kind of trying to get better understanding your sense of self is something I would put more in that domain. Like, I mean, I know they're related. but I can't say a lot about that in terms of personal experience. You
0: know, maybe I'll just share my experience here, if, if you don't mind, just to kind of give some reference. I definitely took mushrooms one time and probably took more than I probably should have, or maybe the, the caps were just more potent than I had uh, expected. But I had taken them, and it was I was kind of terrified to be entirely honest, and I was not enjoying myself. you know, other people were going inside to a party, and I was just like, no, that's that's way too much going on inside there. I'm just gonna sit inside this car and not be with you people. I ended up you know just actually leaving, just going home, going to sleep, and actually during this uh, when when I was sleeping was when I experienced a kind of ego death and It was mostly like I knew who I was wasn't anything, that the self wasn't real, and that everything that's talking right now is just like an illusion of mine, and that I was existing within that kind of mental framework for what seemed like forever, like it seemed like a very, very long period of time. Eventually, that feeling did fade. I woke up, looked outside, and it was the most beautiful day I had ever seen in my entire life but for for a while there who i was wasn't a real concept i mean i i'm pretty convinced at this point it's still not but at that moment it it makes it really clear for you that you're part of everything and that you and everything are one and since there is no separation you know there is no room for your own personal ego etc that's kind of kind of where 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 i went
1: yeah i mean that, that sounds very similar to a lot of the um description of it i've had and you know especially how kind of you felt the next day and this kind of new level of appreciation you'd felt i i can relate to that yeah i don't i don't think i've had ego death if it's the first half of that
0: i definitely think just on my own personal basis of course you know there's a million caveats here for people that haven't tried this stuff before you know make sure you research it times a million
1: yeah i think it may be worth it i think for us to spend some time on harm reduction and safe usage and stuff
0: first things first, uh, these things aren't toys. These things aren't party favors in the, in the most strictest sense. Like you were kind of saying, like ayahuasca is not the thing that you're going to be doing at a party. I would even really say that to mushrooms and LSD. Like I had mentioned to my dad that, that I was going to be doing this podcast. And he told me, man, I've gone on so many acid trips, you know, just partying and having fun. And I could definitely understand, you know, he's from the, the time where that was much more of a thing. But I I definitely see the idea of it being a much more serious um, kind of medical thing or not even medical thing, but mental health thing as a way to kind of understand yourself, understand the universe, have a kind of more objective view of yourself and of life, etc. What kind of steps, you know, what kind of things would you recommend generally to people aren't, you know, doing the silly thing. Like, I think there's the cliche that you might drop acid and then jump out the window or something. I think that's not super likely. But other things like, you know, don't drop a bunch of acid, go outside, freak out and, you know, do something stupid. I think that's at least possible.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, people falling off of buildings while on these substances, that does happen. That's a genuine risk. So I I, I don't think we should gloss over that too much one of the biggest risks probably comes from like, do you know what you're taking? Um, You know, because of the legality of these substances, you can't go down to the pharmacy and get like precise dosages of these. You need to really be able to build up some trust in where you're getting it from. And unfortunately, a lot more places now are offering, you know, you can get drug testing kits online. There are more places around the world. I know in Vancouver, they have this in a lot of festivals in uh, Canada. And I believe in Victoria, they have free drug testing facilities where you can go in to make sure that what you're taking is actually what you believe you're taking. Being very careful about what you're ingesting, knowing where it came from, and your dosage is like number one. If you want to be taking fifty, you know, milligrams of MDMA, but you know, someone gives you ecstasy and it's laced with speed and you know you're drinking alcohol with it, and then we're not talking about safe medicinal usage of something. Then it does deserve to be treated more like a risky drug, like something else. You know, on the other hand, if you you know are getting um Uh, psilocybin pills from a trusted source and have tested it yourself and, you know, careful about dosage in your set and setting, then um, yeah, then the the risks are quite minimal. Um, It's also worth noting, I think at this point that addiction isn't a risk with these things. I I realize a lot of people I talked about this stuff are kind of concerned that like, aren't you going to get hooked on this stuff? If we're talking about psychedelics, like the classic psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin in mushrooms, ayahuasca, DMT, or I believe Ibogaine as well, These these are non-addictive substances. If you do a lot of them in one go and have a wonderful experience, you're you're not going to feel like doing it the next day, generally. The other thing is, you know, your environment. You know, your judgment is going to be impaired. Like you, you know, duh, don't drive. It's best not to be out in public and interacting with other people. I don't recommend doing these things at parties. Generally, you know, to get the most benefits from these, you probably want to be rather internally focused you're going to want to be with people you trust. Ideally, you're going to want to be with someone who is experienced doing it and is going to be able to watch over you. The best is probably if you have someone sober around to you know, help you out You know, in case you become concerned. If you take care of those issues, like the risks to your health are quite, quite low. The only problem is because of the awful legal system we have set up, it makes some of those things to be a bit harder. This is one of the reasons I think that ayahuasca has been so useful for me is that because of the kind of ceremonial practice, because of the fact that there is a religious exemption for it in Canada, and the United States, some there are, you know, ayahuasca churches where now you can practice without being afraid of legal repercussions. And then you have professionals who are, their occupation is helping people through these experiences. That's really ideal. If you have the opportunity to do that as your introduction to this world, that's how I would do it. And I think while we're, you know, still on
0: that kind of line of reasoning there, do you want to explain the set and setting thing a bit more?
1: Right. Yeah. So set and setting refers to set typically refers to your own kind of mindset, how you are going into it, and setting is, you know, your location and time. Setting's a bit easier. You want to be in a space you're comfortable in. Uh, you want to, you know, not have any responsibilities for the next however long. You know, if you're doing, you know, mushrooms, probably six hours. If you do LSD, you should probably set aside a full day. It shouldn't be a coping me- mechanism. You, know, you shouldn't turn to this stuff if you know if you're you know in the process of freaking out about something. It's not going to calm you down. You generally want to go in uh, having set some intentions. You know, being confident that the amount you're going to do and where it came from, like uh, you know, so that's not something you need to worry about while on it. And yeah, like having the right people around who can help you through a difficult experience, so you don't freak out and do something stupid. Absolutely, having a, a babysitter there, being able to talk you down. A trip sitter. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Having someone like that around, you know, is definitely a good idea. If they're sober, that's definitely better. Like you were saying, those are all great examples. And I guess, you know, in my own personal experience, I haven't really had that, you know, kind of ayahuasca experience where it's much more religious or spiritual or whatever you want to call that. I guess I've never really had that portion as much. It's been much more in my own kind of world of building my own kind of internal religion, if that makes sense. I kind of want to tie things back to what you were saying about meditation, though. So this is kind of a uh, question I had. So I've been meditating a bit lately, and something that I've been just catching myself thinking about is what meditation gives you is very similar to what a acid trip or what a mushroom trip might give you, is that it, it allows you to parse out all of your internal thought processes and you know whatever just goes on internally. And kind of just look at them so intently, and on a level you've never really done before. Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, yeah, both of the both meditation and psychedelic use, it tends to really, really knock down the barrier between conscious and subconscious. I often get really meaningful glimpses into why I behave the way I do. One of the things I've struggled with, and I think was one of the main causes of my depression a few years back is, you know, stifling a lot of unpleasant emotions and then really kind of cutting them off from a conscious viewpoint and trying to be completely rational and logical. And, you know, I, like I'm a big fan of rationality, but, you know, you need to be able to acknowledge how you feel about things or it's just going to come out in different ways. And both meditation and psychedelic seem to just seem to allow me to access that and understand kind of underlying motivations that I might not even have realized I had. Something that I often remember
0: feeling when coming back from a psychedelic experience is looking at the internet or looking at Twitter or something like that. And just feeling like so distant from all those emotions and things that people are doing. And it feels so much easier to be able to kind of uh, take it all apart. Would you be able to kind of identify with that experience of being able to see through everything and everyone that's happening
1: after a, an experience like that? Well, I'm not sure about other people. For me, it's it's been much, much more internally focused. Like, I understand myself better. I haven't had the experience of coming out and like understanding this is the way this person's acting, this is why they're responding like this. I found that with personal relationships, once I change how I approach situations, then like in the future people respond to me differently that helps me out but no i've never i've never had the experience of being on on these substances and then deepening my understanding of other people no, i haven't had it that directly no i suppose almost what i'm saying is it's my
0: understanding of other people comes from understanding myself better that like i might jump onto twitter you know because i'm really thinking about something that day and it's kind of like a subconscious expression and kind of knowing how my thinking patterns would work while I was on LSD would help me to kind of understand why I would do whatever action on Twitter. And I guess after that experience, it would be a lot easier for me to see that thought process in other people. Okay.
1: Yeah. So like, I guess what you're saying is like, you know, you, you take these insights into how your own psyche works. And because, I mean, humans have a lot of commonalities among each other, you can model other people based on that. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Exactly
0: that's kind of where it come from and when i was younger at first i would definitely not you know take that as any real information over time it's become a lot better information i guess that i would take away each time i would trip things would just seem sillier you know at the end of it it makes more sense to to say something like i'm coming back to being like an ape on planet earth because it seems so absurd when you're, um, quote unquote, tripping balls on something like LSD or uh, mushrooms. I guess my question is, you're basically saying that most of your insights are kind of internal. What was maybe like your, your biggest insight? Um, have you already gone over that? Or is it something different? My biggest single
1: insight was probably the realization that I kind of, um, for many years, I just hadn't liked who I was. I Simply wasn't okay with myself as a human being. I only kind of was okay with some potential future version of me that accomplished X, Y, and Z. I still remember the moment kind of blowing through that, and I think it was actually a day between ceremonies when I was in Peru, kind of realizing that you know that's it's bullshit. If you can't love yourself as you are, you know, no amount of achievement is going to help you love yourself. So it was kind of it was not only blowing through that, but actually being able to genuinely like myself and like love who I am as a person and be okay and be like, you know, no matter what happens, like from here on out, Mario, you are okay as you are. I wasn't even aware that I lacked that feeling about myself. And and it's still a struggle at times to, to hold on to that. But I think that was probably the single biggest takeaway. For a reference, for my own kind of knowledge, when was
0: the first time you did psychedelics in your life? It was in my late 20s. Something that came up on the previous podcast was waiting until a certain age before taking these sorts of drugs. Would you agree with that sentiment that, you know, you should be at least internally ready by your own estimation before you go down this potential path?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, in general, substance usage is higher risks while the brain is developing. I don't recommend teenagers do this, partly because teenagers are generally less responsible than grown adults your brain is typically in strong stages of development. Now, like that being said, you know, I wonder had I taken this stuff like 10 years earlier, is it possible? I would have been able to, you know, avoid a lot of suffering throughout my 20s, like maybe, but I am in a way grateful that I discovered this whole world when I was at a point in my life where I could approach them in a very kind of responsible and low risk way. I would kind of recommend people to wait at least until your kind of early mid 20s. As research on this develops, I think that we'll get a better understanding of safe administering of this. I know that um, MDMA, which I guess is not a classic psychedelic, but it's, it's sometimes talked about in a related way. There's been a lot of promise for treatment of PTSD, and I believe that there's been some early talk of research in administering small amounts to adolescents or children who have had serious PTSD. Now, I'd imagine that's like going to be very, very small amounts and administered by a doctor and, you know, under close supervision. There probably is a way to safely do it. If you're doing it outside of a clinical medical setting, yeah, I would strongly recommend to wait until your you're mid-20s.
0: What is your general opinion of MDMA? Have you done it? And if not,
1: you know, would you want to do it in the future? I have experiments with MDMA. MDMA comes with higher risks than the classic psychedelics. It does have a risk of habit forming. It is toxic in high doses, Um, you know, whereas like LSD or psilocybin, like there just simply isn't a, like there's never been an incident where someone has overdosed in LSD. You need to take something like thousands or tens of thousands times a normal dose to reach toxic levels. That is not the case for MDMA. You can take too much and do lasting physical damage. It's one that I'm more hesitant to recommend to people, although we do know at this point, you know, with these emerging studies that it, does have tremendous potential in terms of helping people heal from, uh, you know, traumas. I have less experience with it, so it's not one that I would recommend as much. And I think it also has more of a reputation as a party drug. You know, like if you take a bunch of LSD and go to a party, I'd say you're probably not that likely to have a good time. It's going to be a stressful experience, whereas MDMA is a bit easier to do. Like if you take it, you're going to feel pretty good no matter what. You, You don't really have bad trips, you know, provided you're actually taking MDMA. I think another risk is that MDMA also is more frequently found with uh, impurities, like people will add other substances to it. So there's a higher risk of taking MDMA and something else, which you don't want to be doing. There are much lower risks. Like if you're eating an actual mushroom, it's much less likely to be laced with something. Uh, Same thing with LSD. So MDMA, yeah, I, I think people should be much, much more cautious around. It's not what I would recommend people start with. Although... If it is something that piques your interest, like there are studies going on and there are places that have started to administer it in therapy. That's what I would do. If, if your person is interested in that and you think it could help you in whatever condition you have, you know, look around, especially if, you know, if you're in some of the West Coast, there are a lot of these studies emerging.
0: Because as I recall, MDMA was used by therapists early on because it was a very introspective drug.
1: Yeah, like I'm not aware of it being particularly introspective more than the other ones, Um, but uh, I'll take your word on that one. If I'm
0: comparing it to maybe a psychedelic, it maybe wouldn't be on the same level there. But I guess I've definitely had experiences where I've had to kind of uh, examine my own empathy in a situation kind of similar to what you were mentioning earlier about your interaction with your friend. Something similar to that, but kind of going from there then touching on other kind of potential drugs that may or may not fall in under the psychedelic label. Um, I just kind of want to touch on anyway. Do you have any particular opinion on something like ketamine? Because ketamine is supposed to
1: be on a similar level of possibly being used as treatment for depression and things like that. Ketamine is interesting because it actually already has been used by the medical community for many decades now. At very high doses, it's a very, very effective and safe general anesthetic meaning it will put you to sleep and you won't feel pain. It's been very widely used for a long time. Any hospital is going to have ketamine on hand. Even more interesting is that it is quite commonly used or administered to children. Compared to a lot of other general anesthetics, it's very safe for children to use. Children tend not to get as much of the psychoactive responses to it. An interesting footnote is you may remember the um, boys stuck in the cave in Thailand, uh, I think it was one or two years ago, where they eventually brought them out. Uh, the scuba diving team brought them out. They actually gave all of them ketamine so that they would be sedated. They could more easily transport them through the water and they wouldn't, um, wouldn't have panic attacks. Interesting. Yeah. Ketamine's got a, a much longer history in the medical community, but as a painkiller, essentially. Nowadays, there are ketamine clinics opening up in the United States. I'm not sure about Canada. There's at least one person I know who has started doing ketamine treatments under the medical system as treatments, you know, for treatment-resistant depression. I've heard very positive things. It's not something I've personally experimented with. And again, I think it it does also come with higher risks. I believe that if you're buying it illegally, then you're probably going to get it in powder form and people tend to snort it. In general, substances ingested that way, I mean, I like that's never how I've done any of these. And uh, I, I would guess that, yeah, then you're looking at higher risks in terms of impurities, you know, or if you're going to have something that isn't ketamine. So get it tested. Honestly, at this point, it's becoming more and more available through the medical system, depending on where you live. But yeah, I don't have any personal experience with it.
0: Talking more broadly about drugs in general, I guess, would you support a general decriminalization of drugs across the board? you know, basically all drugs altogether? Or would you
1: want to be more specific and thoughtful about the matter? I'm strongly in favor of decriminalization. Drug use and addiction is a serious, serious problem, but it is a medical problem. It is not a criminal problem. You've seen in countries like Portugal, I think about 20 years ago, decriminalized all drugs and provided people safe access. Most of the problems can be traced to the fact that they are illegal. If you allow people to safely acquire these drugs without fear of uh, you know legal re- repercussions, you'll have a better time reaching out to drug users. They'll be less at risk for um overdosing because they've accidentally taken fentanyl when they thought they were taking, you know, heroin or whatever. Then you're also not going to be funding criminal organizations who will be trying to push more addictive drugs on people. Um so yeah, I'm strongly in favor of decriminalization. I, I think that these um substances should be medically available for people and we need to address kind of underlying issues. Have you heard of um a gabor mate? I have not. He's from Vancouver and has written quite a few books over the last few decades about uh, you know mental health. He's done a lot of groundbreaking work on addiction and why people become addicts. So much of it can be traced back to childhood traumas. His approach is basically if you want someone to stop doing drugs you need to find out basically why they're depressed like why, Do they prefer life while high instead of, you know, life sober? And it's generally because they're trying to escape really heavy traumas that they've had. Yeah, I really think that making these substances illegal, it hasn't stopped people from getting them. It's caused them to get more dangerous versions of the substance they're looking for. And it's made it harder to help them. So I'm definitely in favor of decriminalization. Uh, For psychedelics, I am definitely in favor of legalization and regulation of them. It's trickier with like stuff like you know I don't think anyone should do meth like you know don't do meth kids that that's a pretty easy one like you know you shouldn't be doing heroin but I I, I don't think that uh, making them illegal has helped at all as well like the NDP, probably the third largest political party in Canada has stated that they would decriminalize drugs across the board if elected. So I'm quite optimistic that this stuff is going to happen in the coming decade or two.
0: Would you say that the best argument in favor of you know either legalizing or decriminalization across the board would be one of bodily autonomy that I should be able to kind of put into whatever my body that I should that I want as long as I'm not
1: hurting anyone else? Depends who you're talking to. Like, I mean, my own personal perspective is I'm interested in well, let's look at the different regions that have tried different approaches and what worked. What's worked? What hasn't? We've seen what a total disaster the war on drugs has been. You know, we've seen that places that decriminalize tend to see a reduction in the negative effects. So that's kind of how I look at this. I'm a consequentialist. I want to know what the results are going to be. If you're talking to a deontologist, or you know, uh, like that, that argument will be very appealing to libertarians. The response that you might get from someone else is like, oh, well, like you know, the opioid crisis has had a negative effect on society as a whole, not just the users. So they might push back on that. I'm interested in whatever argument works, honestly. And you know, you're know you probably going to have to tailor different ones to different people. I'm going to kind of move forward here a little bit. I kind of have a random question.
0: How do you see kind of drugs uh, changing in the future? I kind of get the naive vision of drugs being much more of a technological thing that will use, you know, things like VR and similar things to simulate drug experiences or otherwise use computers to inject experiences directly into our brains what's your kind of general thought of the future here
1: uh or is that way too far into the left field <laughs> no i've just i've never thought about that before like the idea is like if you can simulate what it's like to be an lsd like by putting on a vr headset Or something like that, of, you know, like there might be that neural lace thing
0: that Elon Musk is uh, is working on that you might have some direct neural interface in, you know, 15 years or
1: something. I mean, for that to work, you kind of have to assume that the benefits entirely come from sensory experience. And I don't believe that's the case. Like, it's pretty likely that there's physical stuff going on inside your brain from the substance that once it's entered your bloodstream. I'm hesitant to say it's impossible, but I don't see why we would think that. You know, one of the effects of taking ayahuasca is you're going to get some crazy visions, but there's probably a lot more going on than that that's affecting you. I mean, I've had a lot of experiences on this stuff where I haven't gotten uh, intense sensory experiences, but I've, you know, gone through crazy emotional swings. I don't see how you would do that through technical inputs, for example. To me that that sounds the same as being like, do you think we would ever do away with morphine or hospitals because we could just like have a painkiller with a VR set that, that that doesn't seem plausible to me I, I like maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're suggesting maybe maybe I'm just pulling sci-fi nonsense out of my ass right now I mean it'd be cool if we could do that like <laughs> I, you know, I'm all for I'm all for research in that area, but uh, it, it seems a bit far fetched to me Got it okay no problem uh, we can definitely move on
0: from there. We've touched on LSD mushrooms, kind of DMT ketamine MDMA Are there any other drugs out there that you think have a positive benefit? You know, let's quickly touch on weed, for example. What's your general opinion about smoking marijuana
1: or, you know, just generally intaking uh, marijuana? I mean, it seems to be great for some people. It seems to be pretty bad for other people. There are people in my life who do it a lot. It seems to benefit them. There are people in my life who do it a little bit. It seems to benefit them. People in my life who do it a lot. It seems to be a pretty negative impact on them. Me personally, I, I don't think it has a good effect on myself. You know, I'm not a person with chronic pain, for example, you know, which I'm very grateful for. Um, If I was, then it might be something I would consider. It seems to be very helpful to people who have chronic pain. For myself, it seems to kill my motivation. You know, I also really dislike the feeling of smoke. Like I was never a smoker. Like I've smoked a few cigarettes in my lifetime. So I don't do it myself. And it's not something I really recommend to other people. Um, I mean, like, I think it's worth trying. It's not something I like to talk about much anymore because kind of there are enough other people pushing for it you know, great. It's been legalized. You know, people shouldn't be thrown in jail for it, but I don't know. It's, it's not something I recommend. I actually, for now I'm coming up on about, uh, nine months now where I haven't, uh, had a drink of alcohol or smoked any weed. Um, I kind of decided to cut both of those out of my life. Um, in spring of last year and very, very happy with that decision so far. Would you put maybe edible THC or edible
0: marijuana in a different bucket because it can it's just kind of a different experience?
1: Oh yeah, I'm open to it. I mean, it, like there definitely are significant differences. Like, first of all, it seems to be less unhealthy because you know inhaling smoke is pretty bad for you. It's not something I tend to do. I think I've, I've done it twice. Um, once was very enjoyable. The other time was not. You know, I, like I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but it's it's not something that I um have a lot of experience with. Would you call
0: it a psychedelic experience, though? The you know taking edibles versus smoking it kind of thing.
1: I would not call my experiences on them psychedelic. I've heard from other people that it is very analogous. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have experience, but I wouldn't argue against someone who claims that.
0: Do you have any opinion on microdosing?
1: Microdosing is interesting. Again, I don't really have much experience with it myself, and it seems to be a bit harder to test. You know, now that we're, it's easier to get funding for you know, clinical trials and stuff, you, know, you can do that with a substance as long as the person you're testing it on you know, are under your care, and then once they've sobered up, you let them out into the world. I think ethics communities are a lot more cautious about, you know, administering psychedelics and letting people go out in the real world to their jobs and stuff. So I think it's it's just less well understood. Hopefully more data comes out on that. I don't have a lot of experience with myself. Like I've known people who do it, but I they're not people close to me, so I don't know a lot of other experience with it. The risks seem pretty low. So it probably, you know, it, again, like, you know, provided you know what you're taking. If you're taking trace amounts, it's probably safer to try than, like, you know, self-administering a large dose of something else. If if you're a person who's very cautious about it, it seems like a lower risk entry point. But uh, I don't think it's as well understood.
0: I think I'm I'm about to move on from this particular topic here. Was there anything else on the general range of psychedelics drugs that you would want to hit on before we move on to other topics here?
1: Yeah, just like in general, like I want to be really cautious about overselling it. Your mileage may vary. This is definitely not for everyone. There are risks associated, especially if there are people in your family who have had issues with psychosis or um, psychopathy, like or schizophrenia. Like this is probably stuff you're better off avoiding. Do your own research on this. And know the laws in your area. Like I've been very, very fortunate enough to live in a place where this stuff can be sometimes legally accessed. I've been fortunate enough to travel to places where I can legally do it. I'm not recommending anyone break the law. Be careful out there. Don't take this stuff lightly because even though I think there are big benefits, they do come with big risks. Just want to make sure that caveat is in that you might not have the same benefits as other people have had. But yeah, I mean, be safe. I really appreciate
0: you saying all that. All right. So I just kind of wanted to go into more broad topics here before we close out the show. From my seeing on Twitter here, you work at that evil, evil company called Blockstream. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, I've been there just over two years now. And what do you do over there? So I'm the customer support lead. A lot of my job is helping people use Blockstream Green, our wallet. We've got an online store, so I'll do management of that. Translation, I'll manage some our translation team at times. So it's, it's startup life. So when something pops up and needs doing, someone does it. So yeah, I've had a few different roles.
0: How much have things changed over there? I mean, the last two years have been kind
1: of crazy as far as you know things like lightning goes. Yeah, um, so I'm not working on the lightning side of things other than the the lightning store. So I can't comment on a whole lot on that. The company, you know, has grown quite a bit. I guess when I joined, we were kind of shifting more towards being this company where there are a whole bunch of like super smart engineers and scientists working on a whole bunch of different cool, crazy ideas, and now we're tending to consolidate more into a company with a proper business model and you know, working on those sources of revenue and you know, the, the mining announcement was huge. I assume when I first joined sitting in one of the internal meetings and them talking about like all this mining we were doing and this kind of massive facility we we're building out. I was kind of blown away. I was like, wow, okay. blockchain is mining. I had no clue. I thought there's no way this will stay under wraps for so long. So I'm kind of impressed. We were able to keep it on the down low until the announcement. So that was cool. You know, it's exciting. Like since I joined, like Liquid has launched and has been integrated and starting to see some usage gradually picking up. Like I think we're up to more than 600 Bitcoin pegged in now. This year is going to be great. I, I Like I can't wait to see more of the usage coming out.
0: Absolutely, you know we're probably going to use this part for if if we can cobble enough stuff together here and enough uh talking together here, we can put it on Lightning Junkies. But just I'm I'm just curious, uh, do you have any uh, kind of experience with Lightning, kind of just generally as a user, or just have you just not you know had time to have a uh, look quite yet?
1: I know the basic stuff, like I can you know check for payments on our on a note in the store, but I haven't messed around with it a whole lot. I don't have a technical background, like I a liberal arts degree and I was an English teacher before I was hired uh, at Blockstream. So my role has had a lot more to do with kind of understanding what's going on at the company and then being able to explain that to other people. And so I haven't been like down in the code with the nitty gritty stuff as much. I really do enjoy teaching about though. Like one of my favorite kind of areas of interest is helping non-technical people get a tactical understanding of how this stuff works. I actually just did a webinar a few days ago. i um, doing a series called the Bitcoin Primer for uh, Blockstream's YouTube channel. The last episode was an explanation of how a Lightning network works, like how Lightning channels are constructed you know, with Bitcoin script and how you can send payments through them. But yeah, I spend a lot more time kind of uh, a bit more of an armchair guy when it comes to, to Lightning. You know, I like taking people who don't know how it works and helping them understand it. But I, you know, I'm not a developer. I, I haven't built anything. Mm-hmm.
0: I really like the the, the topic of teachers and teaching and learning, you know, so let's take that quick uh, tangent here, because I think that that's probably a uh, good one. What do you think about the idea of learning and teaching kind of being practically the same thing, being synonymous? If you really want to learn something,
1: go teach it. Oh, absolutely. Like, that is how I know most of what I know about Bitcoin. I, I got interested in it back in, I guess it was May 2016, so almost four years ago now, this was back in Seoul when I was living in Korea. I credit most of learning about Bitcoin mostly to Ruben Thompson, who is the leader of Bitcoin meetup out there. And um, he's he's one of the co-hosts on our podcast, the Unhashed Podcast. Gotta shill that at one point. He had been running the the meetup group for a few years. I think he was sort of sick of doing presentations by the time I joined. 2017, when kind of cryptomania took off, we started getting like large groups coming into the meetup. I like think he was happy to let me start presenting to people. That was when I learned most of what I know about Bitcoin, just because, you know, I'd be like, okay, sure. Like people want to know about Lightning Network. Next month, I will teach them how Lightning Network works. Having like maybe 20% understanding of how it worked. And that really kicked me into gear. If I was going to teach people how it worked in a few weeks, I damn well better know how it works in two weeks. And I still remember, you know, taking the bus out um, around Seoul and like pouring over the the Lightning White Paper, which is, (laughs) it's not an easy document to read. And I'm not sure I would have, like, forced myself through it, you know, that sixth time to understand it had I not uh, known that I was going to be teaching a room full of people how how it works uh, the next week. If you want to know how something works, be prepared to teach to other people. Still kind of staying on that same thought. What part about Bitcoin,
0: you know, has been the most interesting uh, thing for you here? Like, is it the kind of technology? Is it economics? Is there any portion that really kind of sticks out for you?
1: I like the fact that it's a combination of a bunch of different fields. Like I like learning about different subjects together, you know, the economic side of it, the technical side of it, the social side of it. I really like that it's an amalgamation of these different uh, these different fields. There's that. And probably one of the big things for me early on was that I, like the guys out in Bitcoin meetup, or they quickly became very good friends of mine, like in that first year guys like Ruben and Ben and Ali and Sankate. if I had met people who I didn't get along with as much personally, I'm not sure I would have been as compelled to keep going uh, to these meetups. It might be a bit of a weird answer, but yeah, like uh, the friendships I've made through it have been a huge part of it. It's just a really interesting space. It's, it's unlike any other community I've been part of, and there's so much happening in it. I also like the fact that there are a lot of people in it who are kind of solutions oriented. I, I don't like attitudes where people kind of see problems and think the best thing to do is complain about it. You know, like I, I have a very strong opinion on climate change, for example. I think it's a really big problem we need to take more seriously and address it. But I, I found myself like really off by a lot of the environmentalist groups that I sort of poked my nose into. There was a lot of moralizing and complaining about it. I like the fact that in the Bitcoin space, like, you know, there's a problem you want to fix, like build something to fix it. People are real doers here. That, that's great. I like that.
0: I'm kind of imagining right now like a non-Bitcoin person kind of listening in to this portion of the conversation and not really understanding what's going on. How would you explain why we're doing this
1: Bitcoin thing to a person that's never heard of Bitcoin before? We're trying to make money that isn't government controlled. I, I don't have as much of a problem with like the Canadian dollar as, you know, some of my fellow Canadian Bitcoiners do. But it's hard not to look at what goes on in places like, you know, Venezuela, And think, Jesus, like we need to figure out a way to stop governments from abusing people in this way. I think it's hugely critical that we build an opt out. I think like the banking system in the world has been had a tremendously positive effects as much grief as we give it. You wouldn't have modern society without the centralized banking. That's just because, you know, we didn't have, it wasn't possible digital, digital currency without a central bank until Bitcoin. And now we have this other option. It's going to make it much, much harder for kind of abusive authoritarian regimes to take control of their people. I think that's one aspect to it that even if you doubt, like it's really, really hard to argue against that, I think. That wouldn't be a positive effect, even if you think there are other problems with it.
0: I think I have a final question here for you. That's, again, at a left field, because those are my favorite questions. Sure, go for it. So we're in a uh, new decade. You know, someone might want to correct that and say, no, we're not Not till next year or whatever. I we're don't... in a
1: new decade. They're wrong if they say that. Thank you. Sure. <laughs>
0: So we're in a new decade and um, kind of going forward, you know, not just in Bitcoin. So I don't want you to limit yourself to that. What's the most exciting or positive thing that you're looking forward to in the next 10 years here before we hit 2030?
1: Um, <laughs> like, Yeah, it's kind of tough. I mean, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, more widely available psychedelics are probably two of the top, top hits. Sure. I think the, the transition to um, a sustainable energy system, uh, which I don't think is going to happen in 10 years, but will hopefully happen over the course of my lifetime. That's something that really excites me. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Elon Musk and what's happening over at Tesla Motors. There, there's a guy worth following on Twitter called Rames Nam. I think he's just at Rames. Um, writes a lot about investment and how investment is turning towards you know, clean sources of energy. That stuff gets me going in the morning. I hope we get to Mars soon. You know, advances in space travel and stuff like that. That's um, yeah. I was always a sci-fi fan, and we are living in the future compared to where stuff was 20 years ago. I, I think we're moving in a positive direction you know something's freak me out like i get a bit scared about you know ai and singularity well that's a whole different rabbit hole to go down but um i don't know i i, I would call myself a techno optimist and i think there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the line what are you excited for in the next decade other than psychedelics and bitcoin is there anything outside of those two things it's uh <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke
0: um but no, it's like, I, I think I would definitely mirror a lot of what you're saying. I really like the idea of us getting, uh, gearing up for Mars. I like the idea of a moon base, as silly as that might sound to some people. I, I, I like the idea of a moon base. But beyond that, I think that that's just kind of retreading what you said. And and, and that's not fair to just retread what you said. Um, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery.
1: I'm okay. I'm okay with you agreeing with me. Yeah.
0: I mean, but I, f- I feel like I have other things. Like I, I definitely like the kind of general I- I idea of the uh, kind of neural interface, the kind of uh, neural lace thing like I that I mentioned earlier uh, that Elon Musk is doing. How soon do you think that's coming? Like, like I said earlier, I think I said 10 or 15 years. I'm kind of taking on a Ray Kurzweil uh, estimate or prediction of when that'll be. He said that'll be around... Uh, 2028 20, or 2030 or something mm-hmm. and i'm taking his rough approximation so i'm saying maybe like 2035 or something or or maybe not at all maybe it'll, it'll never really work to that extent but from what i know i think those things are already kind of working you could already kind of control a computer with your mind on some basic level well we are, we
1: already can we just have to use our fingers to do it
0: Right yeah it's, um... well, I, I guess I want the the, the higher bandwidth way yeah, of yeah. Uh, doing it here. This kind of low bandwidth uh, a pan thing is not working for me anymore. I want to just upload the entire thing at some point. yeah <laughs> but all right. I, I definitely feel like we could have went into even further in the left field and just have the uh, singularity talk, but we'll uh, we'll kind of pull it back for now. yeah, we
1: can save that for another day. great. <laughs> right.
0: Is there uh, anything you want to tell our listeners, you know, let them know what you're doing or anything you want to talk about or tell them how you want to be found on
1: the uh, Twitterverse? Yeah, I mean, I'm easy enough to find on Twitter, just Mario underscore Gibney. Check out our podcast, the Unhashed podcast. Every week we do an episode. We've been doing every single week since October 2018. So check us out. Yeah, be safe, people. The one thing I kind of wish we had led with the um, set and setting and safe precautions before diving into all the benefits. Good luck, everyone. I'm excited to see where things go in the next few years. Well, I really
0: appreciate you joining me on the What Is Real podcast,
1: Mario. Thank you for having me on.